the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the summer of 2019, I had the joy of journeying all the way to Myanmar with some colleagues and friends for um, a conference for the lay leadership there um, as part of a short-term mission with SOMA, or Sharing of Ministries Abroad. The hardest part about that trip was the time change. After nearly 20 hours of travel, when we finally arrived, we had discovered we had made a 12 and a half hour time shift forward. I at that time did not know half hour time shifts were even possible, but they are. And it took some time to adjust. Every night I would try to call the girls on FaceTime or video chat and check in, and it was baffling to them that when it was bedtime there, uh, that I was getting up, and that when I was going to bed and I'd call, that they were waking up. And it wasn't just baffling to them, it was baffling to my body as well. It took a lot of caffeine at 10 o'clock in the morning when we're starting conferences um, to tell my internal clock, no, 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 it's not time to go to bed, it's, it's, we're starting this thing off. It took a lot of chamomile tea at the end of the day to tell my internal clock, oh, no, no, we're not starting the day, it's really done. And as those things go, typically, at the end of the adjustment period, it's time to travel home and reset all over again. I raise this today because in many ways this idea of of a time change or adjusting time zones is a very helpful frame um, as we turn in a moment uh, to Paul's uh, letter to the Thessalonians once more this week. It's a helpful shift because Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica to tell them, in a sense, you live in a dark and broken and fallen world but the day of Christ has dawned upon you, and so your internal clocks, your internal rhythms should look different. And so he's, he's addressing them with that in mind. And as we hold this frame of kind of shifting time zones before us, um, Paul uses lots of metaphors, um, light and darkness, um, childbirth, and all these sorts of things. Paul's a master at mixing all these wonderful analogies. And then um, for, for, for those of us who read his letters, we have to kind of uh, sit with them and sort through them. So this morning, I'd like to do just that as we turn back to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 together and look at this theme of what does it really mean to to kind of make such a shift in our internal clock as Christians as we turn back to the text. In verse 1 and 2, arguably, uh, Paul doesn't have to say much. He says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything written you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Those who catechized the Thessalonian Christians, the missionaries, if you will, um, were regular in their reminders that the day of the Lord, or Jesus' return, would be coming, and when it comes, they should be ready. In fact, arguably, um, Paul doesn't have to press very hard for the Thessalonian Christians to remember this because it's so top of mind for them. As we discussed last week, um, both First and Second Thessalonians um, are, are a whole series of topics written to the church therein because they expected that the day of the Lord's return would happen in their lifetime. 
And so they're concerned with all manner of things. Well, what does that mean about working now? What does that mean about, as we looked at last week, people who are passing from this life, the euphemism of falling asleep that he uses, Paul, um, what do we know becomes of them? And what does that have to do with us? And so wonderfully and, and almost kind of methodically, Paul moves from this theme of what happens to those who've fallen asleep at, at the end of chapter 4 to the top of chapter 5. He shifts his focus and says, for those of you who remain, for the rest of y'all, here's what that means, and here's what this should look like. The only thing he pushes back on, interestingly, um, is the culture and the age in which he writes. He says in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. In most um, translations there, the reason peace and security is put in, in quotes, um, which we have one in our household right now that's trying to figure out quotation marks. Uh, friends at school are doing that, so this was top of mind for me as I was working on this this week. Um, peace and security is a quote from the day and the age in which they live. Uh, the, the, the slogan of the Roman Empire at that time was Pax Romana. It was this idea that, that peace will endure. Um, for half a century, when these roads were written, peace had endured. Rome had been through a lot of tumult and turmoil, and so the idea to the age and those in the culture around was, it'll be fine. The empire is strong. It will last. It's always lasted. Therefore, peace and security, just carry on. It'll be great. And so Paul's really kind of taken a not-so-subtle swipe at uh, the slogan of the empire of that day, He's taking a not-so-subtle jab at uh, the culture of the day and saying, don't be lulled into the, the imperial agenda, for lack of a better term, at that time. Um, because um, when the day of the Lord comes, as you know, I don't have to tell you, it'll come as a thief in the night, and it will come quickly and suddenly like labor pains. And he uses this other image of a pregnant woman in childbirth because it shows that, yes, there is pain, but then on the other side of it is new life. And so he's wanting them to not be caught off guard, but he's wanting them to keep that top of mind. Now, Paul can scoot through this pretty quickly because all it takes is a real quick memory jog for the Thessalonians, and back they are. I would say for us, the opposite is true. It's a good reminder for us all, and the reason, arguably, that this stood in this letter because it would be read by the other churches who might need a more prompting reminder include that in our day, right? We need that reminder that the day of the Lord will come. Uh, we heard it last week uh, in Jesus' words in the gospel. Um, the call this time of year in the historic church is to be ready. Uh, the, the last week, this week, the weeks leading up to Advent are always a reminder that we're to be prepared and get ready. We shift into a new year and Advent means coming, right? And so we're to be ready for the coming day of the Lord all the time. And so the theme of this is, is central um, at this time of year, and rightly so. We would do well to do that. In fact, um, what would it look like for us if we, like the Thessalonian Christians, actually believed that Jesus returned in our lifetime? What would that mean in how we behave and act differently? I think in the West, we hold out hope that Jesus is going to come again, and so we should. But most of us in the back of our mind kind of think, well, you know, I mean, that's, I'll probably meet 
him on the other side of this life before it ever actually transpires. And, and while that may be the case, we don't know, as the psalm reminds us, the number of our days. As believers, we should always pattern our lives around the fact that he could return at any point in our lifetime. And arguably, um, this idea of sleep and light and darkness is quite fitting culturally in every day and age, and, and perhaps as much in our day and age, where there are such themes as Pax Romana, however we tag those culturally right now, um, and we should be aware that that should not lull us into this place. So what might that look like if we actually order our days like the Thessalonian Christians around the reality that Jesus will return? It's one to sit with, isn't it? And that's really where the heart of this um, chapter then camps out. Because Paul then pulls that forward in verses 4 and 5 and 6 and following um, with even more mixed metaphors um, as we get into verse 4, he's saying, of course, um, but you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Yes, it's coming, but it's not a fearful thing, and it shouldn't catch you off guard. You're ready. For you're children of the light, children of the day. We're not children of the night or darkness. There's that image of shifting time zones, right? Um, while the world around you, the sleepy, fallen, broken, sinful world in which you live, is just kind of muddling along, lulled into this idea that all will be well, um, you live in a different way. You, the day of the Lord has dawned upon you through faith in Christ Jesus and the waters of baptism. You're citizens of another kingdom. And as such, the way in which you lead your lives are not in day, I mean in night, but in, um, in children of the day. And so then this theme of six and seven, he plays on this idea, Paul, um, of, of remaining awake. So then, uh, first, let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. The first part he's really saying is keep the day of the Lord top of mind all the time. Don't get lulled into this, this false sense of security. And then he presses in a little bit further in verse 7 to say, and it's not enough just to say, let's be ready, but we have to actually behave in a way that we're ready. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Paul pulls forward images that people know, nighttime behaviors, nothing good, you know, as your parents told you as teenagers, ever happens at night, um, right? It's, it's that kind of a mentality. So Paul's saying, be done with those sorts of things. Your parents weren't wrong. Um, and so the, the idea there is this, right, that we're called to stay awake. And staying awake um, metaphorically doesn't mean uh, just caffeinate yourself into a perpetual, you know, readiness. It shouldn't mean that we're in a tizzy about the day of the Lord, but it should mean that we're aware of it and we're preparing for it. And it means that the whole of our lives, then, should be patterned around what does it mean to stay awake. And, and if there's an area of our life that the gospel has not uprooted or turned over or touched, then maybe it's time to wake up. If coming to worship once a week on weeks when we can make it, um, or in Bible study when it suits our schedules, that's just not enough to be ready. We need to wake up. If um, it means that we're doing everything that everyone else does culturally with our kids, I mean, my kids ask all the time, well, why don't we do that? And we say, well, we do different things. And we have to teach our kids in the way they should go. And so we need to wake up. If that means that it doesn't affect our calendar and it doesn't affect our priorities and it doesn't require us to reorder, it's probably time to wake up. 
If it doesn't touch um, our behaviors, um, our desires, our pocketbook, it, the, the, the gospel touches everything. If it doesn't, maybe we need to wake up. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. And I think that's worth sitting with. If there's an area of your life that isn't uncomfortable, the gospel hasn't reached it yet. Because that's not the call. The call is not to comfort, but to be ready for the day of the Lord. And that's what we're called to prepare our hearts for, to remain awake and to be prepared. It doesn't mean that life is um, terrible. In fact, um, oddly enough, if you actually take the risk of living in the way that Jesus showed us, you actually find that it brings all the promises that the world, the flesh, and the devil, as we renounce those at our baptismal vows, promise us, and we never find. No product on earth, no person on earth, no scheme or power on earth, no leader on earth, no nothing on earth will give the promises and deliverability that we find if we actually behave in the way that Jesus gave us. We actually find the security, we find the purpose, we find the peace, all those things. It's not a secret, and it's plain before us. And so what does that mean? Well, Paul leaves us with this thought, interestingly, um, as we're to remember the day of the Lord, as we're called to remain awake. Um, in verses 8 and 9, what Paul says is, so since we belong to the day, since you have recalibrated your internal clocks, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. That should ring a bell. We see those images, this armor of God, right? We see that before us in where? Ephesians 6. Interestingly, though, Paul only pulls this forward in two, two areas. He doesn't go through the full armor of God. It seems as though what Paul wants us to see is the defensive parts of the armor of God and how, if we are clothed in the practices of Christ Jesus, they defend our hearts and minds from those things that would assault us, if you will. The breastplate of faith and love, a love of God that moves us into sundry places and practices that are different than the world around us, and the helmet of salvation, which becomes our hope, are those things that defend us until the day of the Lord. For God, and this is where he always kind of begins and ends, right? Begins this section, um, a chapter or a few before, ending here. Uh, for God has not destined us for wrath. You're not to be in this posture of the day of the Lord should cause you in fear and trembling that motivates you to do these things. No, Paul says, but you've obtained your salvation through the Lord Jesus. So, um, because he died for us, whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. The asleep there is not about an asleep and sleepy versions of ways to live that he's talking about in chapter 5. The asleep he's talking about is back to chapter 4, which is those who are asleep, those who have died, those who have gone before. Whether we're found in either state, we might live with him. Sadly, our, our reading uh, drops off on verse 11, which um, echoes verse 18 at the end of chapter 4, which says, therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And so the reminder then is to ask ourselves, are we, are we doing the very things, putting on the practices, spending time with the Lord, being prepared in that way, so that in a sense we're suited up for the day of the Lord every single day. Those practices that help us towards that end. If you think about it, um, this 
image of armor or anything else, you can only be clothed in one thing, right? You can only wear one helmet. And that helmet then um, is, is a reminder of, of where you stand and what you're for, but it also is a guard in what goes between your two ears, right? So the question is, what helmet is it that we have on? What lens are we looking through? And Paul's asking the church to remember that the helmet of salvation is the one that then should clothe and guard our thoughts and minds. Um, so the reminder here is to an adjustment of our time zone towards that end so that we are daily ready for the day of the Lord. And the good news should be that as every um, kind of, to use the birth pain image that we see in this life, that should just be a reminder, oh yeah, we're, we're to be ready. Um, and, and I think one of the things we have to look at the farther we get back into rhythms and routines after one of the most disruptive seasons we've ever been through and probably will be through in a lifetime with COVID, the desire should not be let's get back to normal because there's never going to be a normal until Jesus returns. The, ra- the question rather should be what should I learn that repatterns my behaviors for Jesus' return? What needs to change? What needs to pivot? What needs to do? Um, we're, we're, we're ready every day. Unfortunately, I think in the West, we just want to get back to Pax Americana or whatever we might call it, and that's not going to hold. And so we're called to be ready daily for the day of the Lord, and that means that it's going to upend your day every day. If it doesn't, you're in the wrong place, and you need to spend a little more time with the Lord and those who are going to shake you up a little bit more. If it doesn't make you uncomfortable, it's not the gospel. The goal of the church is always to keep her members ready and leaning in. We're not a social club to be ready for Jesus' return where we just hang out until that happens. The call is to always be equipped and ready for when Jesus returns, because if he truly is our hope, then we're leaning in every day. Hey, he's coming. Let's get ready, just like we would for a guest this week. We're ready to receive him, and we made the preparations to do so, so that whether it's in our lifetime or not, we've at least had hope. And he either returns in our lifetime or we meet him face to face on the other side of it. And so God gives us this grace in this season. Interestingly, culturally for us, where everything is a tizzy towards year end to kind of say, whoa, 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 slow down, church. Get ready for the days of the Lord's return and be ready for the advent and the coming of the Lord, which is the attention to which we'll turn in the weeks to come. So may we stay awake. May we keep the day of the Lord before us. And may we be suited up in the behaviors that we take part in that equip us towards that end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.